This week on the Tech on Tech podcast, we invite Primary Data to talk about intelligent data management and how they fit into the NetApp data fabric. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. In the studio with me today, Andrew Sullivan. Hi. Hello. This makes two out of four times in the last I week. I know. 50%. That's a pretty good average there. If you were in baseball, you would be an all-star. But okay. since you're on a podcast, you are not an all-star. Yeah, as a permanent host on the podcast, not not doing so great. No, you are not doing that great. Anyway, um, so this week uh, we decided to reach outside of the NetApp confines. So uh, on the phone with us today, uh, some partners from Primary Data, uh, Brendan Wolf and Douglas Falstrom. Hi, guys. Hey, how are you doing? Hey. Doing great. So um, the listeners may or may not be familiar with you. I know you guys are probably internet famous, but if they are not familiar with you, let's start off with talking about who you are, what you do, and what your social media handle is. Um, sure, I'll start. My name is Brendan Wolf. Uh, I run product marketing here at Primary Data. We're a startup. We've been around for a couple of years, and we, we do some really interesting stuff around intelligent data management. So I'm Douglas Fortum. I uh, run the product team here, and uh, we're the ones that uh, now start moving data without you even knowing it's gone from your storage. So it's very exciting stuff. That sounds like it could be a good or bad thing, but we'll get into that. Um, so if you have a social media handle, <laughs> if you could uh, disclose that, if you like. Yeah, so mine is, uh, my Twitter handle's at BGWolf, that's uh, W-O-L-F-E. And uh, I'm uh, available occasionally uh, at DF Sweden. Okay. <laughs> DF Sweden. That gives you any idea on where I might be from. <laughs> um, I don't want to guess because I don't want to offend. Um, Switzerland? <laughs> <laughs> They're the same thing, right? They're next to each other? That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll, I'll refrain from making any Swedish chef references. <laughs> so, um, so let's just start off with uh, talking about what primary data is and what you guys do. So who wants to tackle that one first? Primary data is a startup. Um, it was founded by the same guys who did Fusion I.O. a few years ago, the, the um, uh, NVMe, well, it wasn't NVMe, it was their own proprietary version of NVMe Flash at the time. For a little uh, name recognition, Steve Wozniak is our, our chief scientist. Um, and so uh, it's pretty exciting to be, to, to be working with uh, somebody of that caliber at our company. What we do is intelligent data management. Everything we do is software oriented. Uh, so what we're trying to do is help uh, data centers and enterprises get a lot more efficient with their data. Um, and what, what we mean by that is um, being really intelligent about what's going on with your data. Um, is it hot? Is it cold? When was it last access? Is it being read to or written from? Where is it located? And also understanding really well what's happening at the application layer so that we can put the right data in the right place at the right time in, automatically and, like Douglas said, uh, with little to no input from, uh, from IT. Uh, aside from setting objectives during during the setup phase, 
uh, we were at NetApp Insight in Vegas a few weeks ago, and we're collecting data from from uh, everybody there, both from NetApp SEs who who have their customers and directly from customers them, themselves. And what we found is most customers estimate that they have somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of cold data on their storage. Um, but they're not just buying cold data storage. They're buying high-performance flash. They're buying uh, medium performance for in between. They're buying object storage. They're putting data in the cloud. They have a, they have a whole complicated infrastructure. Um, but the, singular, the, the, the common problem that went along with that huge amount of cold data is they don't know how to identify it. And once they do, they don't know how to eff effectively manage it. And I think that's the exciting story that, uh, that we're trying to tell. So normally when we're talking in the context of, you know, the, the NetApp audience, we think storage efficiency as being things like deduplication, compression in the event of ONTAP, compaction, right? All of these things that allow us to fit more bits in the same amount of space. But that's not really the type of efficiency that you're talking about here, right? It's finding the right place for the data at the right time. Exactly. And then, you know, we can help increased efficiency from the underlying storage subsystem and moving data that could benefit from that into that particular platform. The goal for us is, 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 is multifold from that perspective. One, uh, you can set objectives on performance. So for example, if you have a system that is all flash fast and another older system that is still in production, you're not able to move your hot data to your all flash fast without the single user being aware of it, other than suddenly they're seeing a performance increase in, the, in their data, data speeds and feeds. And that's the, key, that's the key piece for us, is that we're able to dynamically move things around because we virtualize where it is and give the user the right performance or reliability of the data that they're looking for if they're looking for different things. So, for example, some users want to move snapshots or older than three days into the cloud but they still want to be able to access them for the next six months, and they want to be able to access them through the standard dot snapshot directory. Uh, all, all that data management of moving the bits and pieces underneath the namespace is really what data, what we're about. And, and the, the logic, the machine learning we've built into the product helps the user achieve those goals uh, without taking uh, any outage and then doing any surgery on, on creating super advanced policies that can possibly cater to every possible scenario in the world. So you mentioned in there machine learning, right? And that's kind of an industry buzz term these days. Can you, can you describe a little more what that means inside of the primary data system? Sure. So um, we like to say that we add awareness between the application layer and um, the uh, the storage infrastructure underneath. And, and what we mean by that is we have a we have a metadata engine. Uh, it's our product we call we call DataSphere, which is constantly monitoring <clears throat> and collecting performance telemetry from application client serv servers. So we we know how they're experiencing the storage infrastructure underneath, but also. Um, we're collecting and uh, mining all the all the information we can get out of the metadata from the storage infrastructure. So we know exactly what's going on all the way down to the file level with your data at any given time. So with those two massive sources of data, we can apply machine learning principles. Um, in fact, we treat it as an uh, economic model. We, we we look for for things like arbitrage within the system so that we can um, make uh, intelligent decisions on where data should be placed in order to satisfy both exactly what's happening with those applications in real time and also uh, 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 pl planning for how to support those, those trends as they move forward. 
So if you don't mind, I have a couple of kind of more technical questions that I'd like to go into. Um, so first, right, primary data is it's a storage system, but it focuses primarily on file-based protocols, so NFS, SIFs. That's right. Yeah, we today we export only a file-based namespace, although we're able to consume underneath as a storage volume target both file, object, and block, for that matter. Fun fact, they support NFS v2 as a front end. Is that right? 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 Yeah. <laughs> Can I, am, I, am I working for your marketing V4. department now? Yeah? V4-2? That's right, right? I've, I've seen that, yeah. So, yeah, they're actually kind of ahead of the pack in terms of the standard because not a lot of vendors are supporting that yet, us included. So they actually are kind of blazing that trail. And, in fact, they have people on their staff that are writing the specs as we speak. That's right, and you know, know we're, we're quite proud of that. So, I mean, we spent a lot of time in this company enhancing the NFS protocol itself, both from a standards perspective, but also making sure we can implement the standard and providing that to our customers. Everything we do from our, our client access perspective is fully open source. So it's all following the standard, no proprietary client software needed at any point in time. So, you know, things like NFS version 3 and obviously version 4.2 being the cutting edge of the NFS stack helps leverage the new stuff in the NFS world that gives this cool functionality of doing live data migration without the user being aware, for example. Or even something that is probably maybe practically more, uh, even more useful for an end user, which is getting performance telemetry of every single I.O. in the namespace uh, from every single client. So the customer can very easily understand what I.O. comes from what client, uh, what storage system is being saturated with I.O. from what client and so forth. And this, again, doesn't require you to install a, a single piece of software on the endpoint. And we're leveraging uh, the functionality NFS 4.2 protocol, even though the, the incoming protocol to us might be SMB2 or SMB3 for that matter, or even NFS version 3. And, and that, the, the usage is targeted at applications? Um, so, for example, who are doing individual file access? Or is it, um, can it be used for things like virtual machines with NFS? Absolutely. So uh, we obviously support the, the file use case, both for, for your know, multi-protocol perspective. We also support NFS and vVault data stores for VMware and merchant machines, for example. So a customer can use their existing VMware storage and make a vVault-compatible data store uh, using any storage underneath the hood, even object storage for that matter, and tier, for example, old virtual machines into object storage, even though the object storage itself doesn't even have an NFS interface. Uh, so we, we extend the capabilities of the, of the underlying storage systems to be compatible in, in that particular example with VMware. And just my basic uh, knowledge of the product, it sounds like you can also use primary data as a front end for kind of a global namespace across multiple sites. So, you know, you point it to different targets, you know, ideally ONTAP targets, but, you know, you're operating at the NFS level and you're able to access through NFS or SMB or whatever to any of these targets and use it as kind of like a, a almost like a DFS. Is that kind of what we're doing here? Yeah, the, except, you know, from our perspective, the DFS would be as we're granular down to the file level, not down to the share. Uh, so today we're focused on, on sites within decent latency uh, distance. So I would say within 100 kilometers or so. Uh, as we build out our product, we'll go across the world. It's simply that we've got to start somewhere, being a smaller company. The, the key use case for us is be able to take storage from that has multiple capabilities underneath, whether it sits local or remote, 
and give you access to that in the global namespace. So from, from a user's perspective, they could use their application and tier data granularly down to the file, uh, even though the storage may or may not be local to, to, to what the user is. So on the front end, we're talking file access protocols uh, with a global namespace that spans across all of those different backend storage providers. Um, so I thought I heard you say before, earlier that you can use um, you know, SMB, NFS, and object storage um, as those backends. Is that all there is to that story? Yeah, so we, today we speak you know, NFS to the back end, we speak object to the back end, and we speak uh, we also be able to consume block storage. The block storage is a really exciting piece, and you know, we're giving you a, a bit of an idea on what primary data will do in the future as well. So uh, the block storage today allows us to take, you know, for example, a, a block NetApp and include it in the namespace. Uh, we create a file system on it and, and, and share that namespace. It's not the most common use case, but it's available for users. They have, for example, excess SAN capacity, and they want to use that as part of their, their file namespace. That's the simple use case. The next use case for that is being able to include local storage on a server as part of the global namespace, and that's something that we're, we're talking about. We're not delivering in a product yet, so I'm just touching on that topic, but it's, uh, it's an exciting world where you can start blending the hyper-converged storage use case together with the shared NAS use case. So when we're talking about something like, like that, right, of shared DAS, right, uh, storage medium on the back end, is there any considerations for data protection? Um, you know, is, is it things like storing multiple copies or some sort of erasure coding? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's the, and that's where, you know, the ongoing development will, will deliver that to customers here o o over time. And we're looking at the data protection from a slightly different, I'm going to say a data-specific angle versus a storage-specific angle. And I'll try to see if there's, a, you know, if there's a difference that people pick up on. So every piece of data has a different set of reliability or redundancy needs. So, for example, temp files are not needed past you know, application restarts. While my application files might be super important, but my application backups need to be sitting on slow but extremely reliable storage. And you know, so all these you know, pieces of data, they, the value of data will change over time. The value of data will change depending on how you use it. And so the primary data allows you to create objectives. We call them objectives. You can think of them as policies that lets you determine what the value of your data is and how to protect it. Uh, so that could create, for example, a, a data policy could say, I need my data to be, I'm going to use an example, seven nines, right? And maybe that's a little bit too much, but you know, from a normal NAS system to deliver, so it requires you to create a second copy somewhere else in your storage fabric. Uh, so the, the primary data system allows you to get your data protection levels down to uh, the next level where you think we want to protect the data, not the underlying storage system itself. So you can now say, I want to be able to say my data needs to have, for example, five nines or three copies of it, and we will determine where to best place that data based on the available storage infrastructure underneath the hood. Uh, that could be you know, a copy in the cloud together, or an object storage from that. We call the cloud generally object storage from our perspective, or it might be two copies on NAS. Uh, so you know, our system is extremely flexible in the way we uh, let the user determine what the right protection level for data is. So, you know, you, and hopefully that made, made sense and helped to answer your question. And, and one other comment I'd make on that is some people may worry a little bit when we talk about things like data virtualization or global namespace that we, we drive all uh, um, 
storage subsystems to a com lower common denominator between them, and that's not the case with our product. We're very aware of what uh, what exactly is running uh, in those systems. We, we know the, the feature set, we know the vendor, we know um, what kind of data protection features are available, and we bring the, those to the surface. And so when, when Douglas talks about putting the, the, the data on the right storage because he needs a certain amount of um, durability for, for that data, uh, we, we're doing direct integration with NetApp uh, across the NetApp portfolio, that means things like um, ONTAP FAS systems, storage grid web scale, and and um, uh, other options as well. So you mentioned you were at NetApp Insight. Um, are you going to be in Berlin as well? Absolutely. You're going to be handing out some Berlin. cool swag is out there, <laughs> there as well. Swagalicious. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a little bit of a smaller footprint. Uh, we went pretty big in Vegas. Uh, Vegas was a really good show for us. Um, we we packed the booth and we had a lot of great conversations and we we had um, NetApp SEs bringing other SEs and bring architects to to our booth to try and understand our product a little better because what we what we do is pretty different I think from anybody else and and so there is some conversation to be had to you know figure out how how it's going to fit specifically within somebody's um, uh, customer base. But uh, because that was such a successful experience, we said, what's the next big thing we can do with NetApp? And uh, I said, well, we got to go to Berlin. And so we're going to be there in a, in a couple of weeks. So I think that brings up an interesting point, right? Uh, you know, you said that you had, you know, a lot of NetApp SEs, right? Sales guys, sales teams that were in there, you know, exploring the product, figuring out what it, what it can do. So can you tell us what that story is, right? Where does it fit in the NetApp por portfolio? And you know, for I think it's a little not obvious since we have platforms that provide you know similar protocols, similar capabilities. So I think that would be helpful. Yeah, um, that's a that's a really good question, and that that's something that came up a lot. Um, and so we were we we would try to specifically talk about I think three major use cases that tie together or or enhance the feature set of the NetApp portfolio. And I'll run through them quickly, and and I'll explain how they all relate to each other. Um, so the first one, and uh, um, actually very shortly, we're going to have a, a published solution brief on uh, NetApp Solution Central for this. But we make it super easy to push data into storage grid web scale, object storage backend, cheap and deep uh, for, for archiving cold data. We make it really easy to move that from uh, a, a ONTAP FAS platform and back and forth. Uh, so. It makes it um, relatively painless for customers to integrate object storage into their infrastructure because they don't need to make any changes to their application layer, no reconfiguration or, or anything like that, and we just tie those systems together. That's the first one. The second one is um, we help extend uh, the, the usability and life a little bit of seven mode on tap systems. There's still a lot of them out there. Some customers are still buying them. Um, but they're, they're looking for ways to make them work in a modern world and also make them work better with clustered mode ONTAP systems. So we, we can help cluster seven mode systems using our, our global namespace and you know, a bunch of the stuff that Douglas has already talked about. Uh, we can help add DVOL support to seven mode systems and we help ease that data migration pain uh, of moving from seven mode to C mode so, so it can be done kind of at people's uh, purchasing pace instead of a big project. Uh, and, and finally, we also solve some problems for um, uh, you know modern uh, ONTAP nine, version nine plus the clustered mode ONTAP uh, uh, platforms. We we can actually uh, write data across clusters. Um, 
which uh, plugs a, 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 a gap that um, you know one of uh, one of the big competitors can do. So we we solve that problem. And the way we tie up these things together is, is uh, I, I think that we at you know at the show we said we brought intelligence to the data fabric. I think we play into that story by bringing all of these uh, solutions together using uh, underlying NetApp technology. We're not re we're not replacing things. We're just helping to bring some of that machine learning intelligent data management to to the entire solution across the portfolio. So with your second use case there, you mentioned something that was interesting, right, in that easing the data migration process from 7 to C. So does that mean that I can take an existing, you know, SMB share NFS export and just seamlessly incorporate that data into the primary data namespace, just change my clients and what they're connecting to, and then in the background allow primary data to make that migration from 7 to C? You bet. We do that. Uh, it's one of the most common use cases we have today. It's going to help customers transition from either a competitive storage, which is frankly a little bit more common, and then can transition from, from 7 mode into C mode. And you know, what often comes with that is not only I want to do, do the data migration move, but I also want to look at what data is being used. So you know, give them an orphan storage, you know, orphan file report, as they're often called. Because you know, what data is on that old system that, is, that was created by employees that are no longer working here, for example. I also be able to move the, the old data into object at the same time. And so, so we're able to help not only do the data migration uh, with the data into C mode, but we can also at the same time, rather than copying the data twice, first to C mode and then to object, we can transition the data directly into object from the, from the 7 mode. Right, so you know, with our product, you get a bit more flexibility in getting the right data to the right place right away versus doing these brute force giant blob moves from, from A to B. And that's what customers get really excited about because they, they like efficiency, they like things to go faster, and they like things to, 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 to honestly cost a little bit less when it comes from an operational perspective. So if I'm a customer and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, you know, this sounds pretty cool, um, but, you know, what's the financial impact of using this sort of solution? Um, that's a great question. Uh, we, we like to say that IT shouldn't have to make sacrifices when they start breaking down data silos. And what that really means is data is growing um, at an at a incredible rate as companies are going through this digital transformation phase. Uh, but at the same time, they're looking for ways to reduce both CapEx and OpEx uh, um, as, as that data tends to grow. So the, the way we reduce CapEx is we help increase the utilization of existing storage platforms. Um, we help. Uh, um, because you don't need to over provision as much, you're you're getting a lot more you're getting a lot smarter about where you're putting your data, so you can buy the right you can build the right infrastructure to support the data usage profile that you actually experience. So um, we can actually help reduce storage storage spends over five years by more than seventy percent, typically for customers who are at the petabyte petabyte scale. Um, but that doesn't mean they actually buy less storage um, because it, what that means is that they're more comfortable letting their data grow at, at larger rates. And so they still buy a lot more storage. Um, they're just using it to capture more data. Uh, and on the other side, we reduce OpEx because we're automating a lot of this tedious kind of data management activity, these extensive data migration uh, plans. 
um, all the stuff that we've already talked about. So when, when you automate all this, uh, you reduce human error, you make daily management uh, a lot simpler, you, you ease a lot of the troubleshooting activities because the machine learning engine is taking care of problems before they even show up. And, and what, that what, what that does is it lets IT focus on work that actually adds value because you know, depending on which analyst firm you talk to, data can be growing at you know 20 to 30 percent year over year. Um, but IT uh, um, uh, human resources budget is not growing at that rate, so they're going to need smarter tools to help them out. So, if I were to add extra storage into this sort of uh, solution, would it just basically pick it up and, and go on its way, and I wouldn't have to do anything as an admin? Correct. We, we automatically do capacity load balancing and performance-based load balancing across existing and storage you add in there. So it's trivial to add storage in, and, and the system will automatically pick it up and use it. What happens if I remove a node? Same thing there. So data migration could kick in. So you have to build what we call decommission storage. When you decommission storage, you can let the system automatically place the data where it's supposed to sit based on objectives you set on it or you can control fully where the data goes from one system to another. And again, it's, it's non-disruptive to end users. They don't even know that the data is moving. So that includes things that have locks on them like SMB and also NFS v4? Absolutely. So anything with locks are, are maintained, anything with, with particular, you know, if you have the application being used and it, it's actively reading and writing to it, even if it's a, it's a so, so our, our data migration, our, our data mobility engine also takes into account the amount of the cost of the move itself. So if the cost of the move itself exceeds the value of keeping it in existing storage while, for example, the file is extremely active, we'll leave it on the storage until the file calms down and then move other files in the meantime. We'll also automatically look at things like queue depth and a few other things from the underlying storage to ensure that we don't overwhelm the storage with the mobility jobs when it's actually needing to serve application I.O. So all that logic is what's automatically built into the Datasphere product, and we take that into account when we schedule mobility jobs and so forth. And what happens if I have a node that goes down? Like, let's say I have a power outage somewhere and I can't access that data. How does primary data handle that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. We get that often from customers. So one will tell the user that we no longer can access the node. So if, for example, it goes into what we call a, a warning state, uh, and uh, we let the user determine whether they want to uh, let us continue accessing it, which is the default behavior. So when the node comes back, we'll just automatically start getting green lights on the dashboard again, and, uh, and things will be normal. But if the node has been permanently lost, we will tell the user uh, what files that were on that node that you no longer can access. And you can get this obviously when the node is not available. Now one thing that's really unique with our product that I think is worth highlighting, so it's common for our customers to do share level snapshots. And we utilize your know, NetApp copy techniques to make sure that they're the most efficiently done at the storage level. Uh, now a share level snapshot can be moved, for example, into the cloud. Uh, so you know, take your storage grid installation, you copy your snapshot in there for when you want to get older. So if you lose the storage volume, and your data hasn't changed since the last snapshot, we will automatically move that file or copy that file back to another NFS volume on-premise if you access that file again. So even if the original storage is gone. So you know, we have, in, in some ways, automatic recovery from previous snapshots where you no longer have to go into the, the, the administrative manual steps of CD to dot snapshot and copy files back. You can do that, obviously. Uh, assuming your snapshot is no longer on the volume that was lost, 
but the user, they'll just, you know, essentially experience a slight delay, assuming your object storage is slightly slower than your primary storage, and the data will be copied back and they'll be giving access. So, you know, so we help automate some of those scenarios or situations where users normally would have to go through, you know, a little bit of a painful process to get their data back, but simply doing a, you know, a data automation path in our IOPath. So it sounds like you um you let people know when your nodes are down. Can this also be used as sort of an alerting mechanism as well? It's kind of like a monitoring system. Uh, you can. So we will we have various types of alerts for capacity on on shares, capacity on underlying storage volumes, you know, health and so forth, built into the system itself. So as long as the storage volume and the name and the file and, and the share and the file is being managed by primary data, we can give you alerts on 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 various. Uh, uh, you know, triggers. And how is all the security handled? I mean, what's the transport mechanism for this information? Is it secured? Is it, are we using TLS? I mean, how are we ensuring that things are not being accessed in the middle? Yeah, so when we move things into the cloud, we use uh, HTTPS with TLS level security. Uh, it should be 1.2 or, or, or later at this point to make sure we, we meet the government criteria for next year. The uh, The copy process between uh, filers is the same way you would copy files over NFS, and you know, it's not necessarily a secure piece. We, we expect the filers to be in a, in a, on a secure network so no one can snoop the data. You'll get the same level of security as if you access the data through uh, your, your clients, essentially. No, can, no reduction in security uh, at all when you install primary data. Does it support things like Kerberize, NFS, Kerb 5P, and that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, we have a matrix uh, in our docs that, that that tells you which protocols support what level of security and so forth. I think he just told me to RTFM. Uh, kind of, yeah. Fair <laughs> <laughs> point. Kind of just say yes, but you know, that was more specific answer, but yes. <laughs> That's fine. I'll allow it. <laughs> All right, sounds like primary data is a pretty swell fit for the data fabric. It looks like it's going to catalog things and do a lot of goodness with with our NAS infrastructures. Um, thanks again, Brendan and Douglas, for joining us today. If people wanted to get in touch with you about primary data, how would they reach you, Brendan? The best way would be to, to go to primarydata.com. Uh, we have contact information on the site to ask some questions. If you want to get to me directly, it's brendan.wolf at primarydata.com. That's wolf with an E. Okay, and then also BG Wolf on Twitter, right? Correct. And Douglas. Yeah, so the same thing for me. And if you want to get to me directly, it's douglas.falstrom at primary.com or at DF Sweden on Twitter. All right, we'll be sure to include that in the show notes and uh, allow people to contact you incessantly. You can also contact them for all support needs for primary data. Um, <laughs> they'll they'll you fix bet. all your problems, all of them. Both technical and emotional. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Douglas Falstrom and Brendan Wolf for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Yeah, haven't we had that Brendan Wolf guy on the podcast? You know, he sounds familiar. Um, oh, I, yeah. I, I seem to recall him in an episode of, of uh, Baywatch. Ba- was it Baywatch? I think it was Baywatch. That sounds about right. Yeah, he was running across the beach with his little floaty. No, that wasn't. Is that that was Hasselhoff. They, they do look similar. Oh, yeah. 
think you're right. <laughs> Verdict, Douglas? Yeah, true or false? <laughs> I think it's 100% true. 100% <laughs> true. All right. <laughs> Which is great because we're going to Germany and, and Brendan will be huge in Germany. 